You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. Friday, June the 16th, lovely sunny day here in TW11. Royal Ascot news continuing to come thick and fast. And one or two bits of news won't come as a surprise if you're a regular listener to this podcast because we've given you notice that it was highly likely that King of Steel would run in the King Edward VII. Next week, that appears to have taken one step closer to becoming reality. Uh, also, Angus Gold didn't rule out the possibility that Alicefa could be supplemented for the Ribblesdale Stakes. That's exactly what has happened. And she's already odds-on for that race as John Gosden rolls some uh, medium-sized dice before heading to the Irish Oaks to roll some, some even bigger ones. Is it that way around? I don't know. You decide. Uh, Azadna, uh, fascinatingly, has been favourite for the Coventry Stakes for a long time, but... George Bowie's given the horse an entry in the Norfolk today as well. Could that horse uh, go into the lion's den against an American rascal uh, and also elite status? If he does, then that really does become a great three-way two-year-old clash. Um, but uh, we don't know whether he's a participant in the Coventry, the Norfolk or neither at this stage, at the time of speaking. And I'm coming to you early afternoon, Friday, June the 16th. But the simmering pot that is the whip has come to a full rolling boil again. Lydia Hislop is with me today. Before we hear from jockeys Luke Morris and Neil Callan, Lydia, why have we why have we reached a flashpoint? Because yesterday uh, the British Horse Racing Authority announced what the some repeat offenders under the new whip rules would be getting for their um, their transgressions. It was a total of 123 days for contravening the rules. So specifically, John Joe Neal Jr., Marco Gianni, and Paula Muir received 21, 25, and 35 days respectively for their third breaches under the new guidelines. And Keelan Woods who's committed five offences since the enhanced punishments were introduced earlier this year, received a 42-day ban. So it was the, the, the numbers that haven't been seen um, on in Britain. Uh, you know, other countries are used to seeing very large bans for riders. Um, the, this is a new thing under the, um, the new whip rules. And so I think with already quite a bit of concern amongst the jockey population about the number of days that have been racked up, these very large numbers have caused another flashpoint. Well, Luke Morris is someone who's had to, I would say, endure probably an undue amount of scrutiny over his whip action over the years. But has regularly, since the introduction of the new rules, managed to stay within them. Um, Luke, thanks for joining me this morning. I realise this is a, probably a subject that's extremely tedious for you to have to discuss again, but you're always very articulate on it. Uh, how challenging has it been for you? Um, obviously, since the new r- rules have come in, I've probably had as many rides as, as anyone else um, during that period. And in the bedding-in period... Um, you know, I, I had to adapt and I worked, you know, extremely hard behind the scenes to to try to modify different different things to make sure that when the rules were fully implemented, um, you know, I, I was f- fully um, fully behind them and making sure I wasn't get suspended, get, getting suspended because, you know, the, the punishments are 
you know they're, they're tough and they're they're quite severe so um you know i think i think the the numbers factor doesn't doesn't really bother me at all it's fairly straightforward you count to six and if you go over six then then, then you're punished um i think the the harsh reality of the penalty is when you see some people getting a you know the the double penalty for a class two and above are extremely tough to um to stomach but um you know from the technical side i've worked extremely hard behind the scenes at home and i've made sure once the rules were implemented i was you know i was on board i mean the interesting point that you make to me is yeah of course you've had as many rides as pretty much anyone this year you've also had probably more rides than 99.9 percent of, of jockeys if not 100 percent of jockeys over the last say decade decade and a half so your your muscle memory your style the way you do things is incredibly well ingrained yet you have managed to to tweak what specifically did you have to kind of work on and how did you work on it um obviously when the you know i i think it's no i i know from the people that the, the harsh reality of social media and what people say um the, the the main problem for me was potentially going to be the shoulder height issue but um in that bed and in period with the help of a lot of Stipendry stewards, to be fair to them, I've worked to um, make sure that you know I wasn't going to be found in breach. And um, you know, thank thankfully, since these new rules have implemented, Touchwood, um, you know, I've had absolutely no issues at all, and you know, I've had a, a good good deal of rides, and there's been no suspensions. And um, you know, but I think you've just you know the rules are there, and you've you've got to get on board with it. Can you, is there, is there anything, you haven't got time to look after everybody else as well as yourself, but if people come to you and said, you've managed to sort it out, can you help me just kind of fiddle around with a few things to try and get me on the right track? Um, no one said a great deal, to be honest. I think everyone, they're obviously, you know, quite slightly up in arms about the rules. I think the penalties are tough when you look at, in relation to some mm. sort of interference interference inquiries that have had happened recently when you look at some people might be getting five days for that and then they're getting eight days for going one above in a in a class two handicap so the you know the harsh reality of the penalties are tough but um the rules at present you've got to you know you've you've got to work to stay within them otherwise you're the one that gets uh, punished and you know you, you miss out on rising winners all right, well, last night, Neil Callan, senior jockey, a jockey who spent a lot of time riding very successfully in Hong Kong, but has been back in the UK a couple of seasons now, said, this is utterly unbelievable. To say they are happy with the numbers just shows you there's only one thing to do now and that every jockey in the country sits down and don't go out to play. Um, I'm guessing, Neil Callan, advocating advocating strike action. How How realistic do you think that is? Do you think it'll happen? Well, um... I think it's um, it's something that should be should definitely be uh, a possibility because um, you know you got one you got the the, the BHA saying that they're, they're very happy with the numbers and they're very happy with this and they're in great dialogue with the PGA, which they're in dialogue with the PGA, but it's not great dialogue. So not from where I'm standing. And um, just look at the numbers. Like look at the numbers. Like it just tells you that it's just way, way too draconian. It's terrible. Like, it's, like look at these um, these guys, These this jump jockey yesterday, Killian. He's like 42 days. Keelan, Keelan Woods, already, yeah. He, yeah. Killian Woods, he's all right. So 42 days, 
He's already spent around 20 days in the five suspensions he's had. So he's going to be out for like nearly two and a half months. Like, I just, for, for, I can understand if, if jockeys are like completely disrespecting the rules and they're just, you know, and, and it stands out and it looks bad and they just don't care and they've got no respect for it. Then okay, come down hard, no problem. But these minor technical transactions. Well, well, although yeah. Ke- Keelan Woods is a bad ex- Keelan Woods is a bad example to use, isn't he? Because um, he would he was done under the old rules uh, for for totting up before before Christmas, and then he had another five offences in in a very short period of time. So he's he's kind of an extreme example to use if you if you're wanting to if you're wanting to use one. Yes, of course, and and he probably is is the the I suppose the the, the strongest uh, statistic um, if you're going to use that sort of thing. But you look at the jockeys as a whole, um, the amount of days. If you go back and look, um, I think it was Matt Chapman put out there recently. It was something like nearly fourteen hundred days of suspensions since May, like take away uh, Mr. Woods yesterday and you just look at that number what does that tell you how many how many whip transgressions have you had since the new rules have come in I have had two and what were they for one was one was one over um, which I which I accepted um, it was on a filly that won a short head from, for Charlie Johnson um and the other one was the one that I appealed that mm-hmm. um one over and one above my shoulder height that my horse dived out to the left away um in front of another jockey that was screaming, so obviously I took immediate action because I thought that a jockey screams because they're in real danger, so um I, I argued that it was completely for safety purposes in that I was pulling with my right rein and using the whip at the same time because originally I was I was I was a, a going or attempting to go to use my whip but Nick you know as well as me that within a quick second reaction you need to be able to do something if you hear someone scream and that's what I did but it was I was told that the high bar set for the whip rule comes above everything else. And I didn't say that. I was told that. So that told me that jockeys and horses' health and safety is below the new whip rule. Is, that's what I, I was told. Is is the issue at the moment with the with the stiffness of the penalties or with the or with the technical nature of the rules? What what do you think is the key issue? Because I've just been talking to to Luke Morris, and and he he basically said, "Look, I had to tidy up my technique. I've tidied up my technique, and I've had no bans." Yeah, but how many ways, how many how many races is he winning? <laughs> well, he rides in more races than anyone else, so it's gonna be it's gonna be hard. Yeah, yeah, he's a busy look, uh, I, I look. Obviously, I would say that it's the it's the penalties. The penalties are not fitting the crime. Absolutely not. One hundred percent or not. So it's a proportionality issue. I mean, and getting back to my original point, you you take the barometer of the weighing room. You are a senior rider. You're never frightened of voicing your opinion. Um, 
do you genuinely believe in your heart of hearts that there is an appetite for jockeys just to down tools and strike? Well, if it was me, then yes. But it, it is you. There's a lot of jockeys right country, so, you know, you'd have to get them all in one room. And uh, But on a daily basis, talking to jockeys in the weight room on a daily basis, there is definitely, definitely, definitely a feeling that that's, that's where it could come to because jockeys are just fed up that, you know, the, 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 way, the way these penalties are handed out just willy-nilly. Um, and as well, if you look at last season, the amount of interference um, appeals that were being won by jockeys that nobody thought would win, and then compare them to since the new whip rules have come in, that any jockey that has appealed a whip ban, they literally it's 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 a locked up door. I think maybe one, maximum maybe two. I think of one. Uh, a whip appeal. Most of them are literally just a brick wall, and it, it, it seems like going forward that appealing a whip ban is just a waste of time. Now, um, you talked about the PJA, and you're saying that, that you didn't think it was very effective what they were doing, but you, you've just fired the chief executive and and half the board, so it's it's not really surprising that. And Paul Struthers, I know, has just come back on as a as a consultant. He's barely had time to get his feet back under the table. It's not. Not really surprising that the organisation can't do an awful lot for you at the moment, is it? I know they are. There's, there's plenty. Like, I mean, obviously we restructured a few more jockeys on the board, like myself and Tom Markan and uh, John John Eel and um, Lizzie Kelly was on there as well. And then there's a couple of other uh, uh, jump girls on there. Um, so, yeah, we restructured and then we got... Um, we got um, a couple higher up and a new chair and, you know, Paul's back on, on, on an advisory basis to start with because um, Dale Gibson has taken over the interim CEO. So, look, it is a restructure, but we as a group um, have been working really hard together to try and make the, make the rest of the association feel like they can have confidence in, in the board. And that's purely why I, why I wanted to join the board is for that reason because I'm in the jockey's room day in, day out and I listen to what's been said and I obviously ask questions myself anyway like what do you want, where do you want it to go uh, what's your feeling about this, what's your feeling about that and you know I've, I've been relating certain things back to Dale and the team and trust me like I know that, that, that certain journalists have been writing things in the recent post saying like, oh, they're in disarray, this and that and that. But none of that is factual. None of it is factual. We are, the, the ship is steadied and uh, we are slowly, 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 well, not slowly, probably a little bit more faster than slowly. Mm. Uh, we're starting to get a, a handle on things now. And um, what I say is, like I said to you, we're just trying to get the confidence of the rest of the association um, to know that we as a board and, and, and the directors and whoever are um, got everybody's heart at interest. And, and that is why I'm on there. Uh, Neil Callan there. And before Neil, Luke Morris. Um, lots of uh, contrast, but also some common ground there, Lydia. The common ground seems to be quite simply the proportionality of uh, the bans to the offences concerned. Um, what did you make uh, of, of their comments on proportionality overall? 
Um, I think there are, um, I think they're fair. I, I think I say that more from the perspective of being concerned about how interference and to my mind quite marked interference is being treated there have been a couple of incidents recently that have caused me some concern as a viewer and an analyst in that sense I think the proportionality point is strong however this is a long process and in order to be able to get to this position in the rules the jockeys collectively agreed to these larger bans that was part of the agreement that they made when they met when they met the BHA post the first incarnation of the rules or the first suggestion of them um, and which they felt were unacceptable and this was the position that was negotiated there between them um, so that that's that's the problem that that uh, larger bans uh, when when the whole issue was started off by the by the horse welfare board looking into it and they handed the hot potato back to the british horse racing authority and said you must have a consultation but the only stipulation point that we would uh put forward is that the bans must be tougher that that's all that was said and then the process sort of played out over a very long period of time but it could have gone very many different ways as as you would know nick because you were part of the, of the process you were part of the of the steering group yeah, I don't know how how many different ways uh, the penalty structure could have gone. I, I was pretty comfortable with the penalty structure um, proposed under the under the steering group's recommendations. I would say that, wouldn't I? Um, and I made it quite clear when we did the several podcasts in January time that I was a bit uncomfortable with the proportionality as as they had been proposed because you would end up with with bands that just seemed out of kilter with offences what what do you make of some of neil's points regarding how the pja is getting itself together and uh, and sort of rallying the jockeys and indeed what do you think to his his point that that strike action might be considered i think it's i think it's very unlikely uh just because these are a large number of self-employed people with very different employment um, concerns and you know different um, levels of income and different different levels of dependence um, and I think it, it will be very very difficult for uh, collective action to actually be executed um, in any in any way um, and certainly Neil seemed to be slightly backing down from his initial position he was talking about it being a, a definite possibility um I, I it's it was clear that all was not well within the the pja that the the jockeys were not happy with their with their leadership and so they have taken moves to address that the return of paul struthers as a consultant is an interesting thing this is that this area is the kind of um subject that paul was very closely involved in when he was chief executive previously and uh got a great deal of success on so i would imagine that this will be um, something that he will be looking at uh, quite closely. But obviously there are other strategic issues that the for the whole industry that the PJA needs to be part of as well. And they need their um, uh, long-term permanent chief executive to be able to be effective at that. I mean, you know, Neil in, in his own, uh, what he had to say there, he's obviously had two breaches since the, um, the new rules came in. And the first one, he said in in what he just said to you, that he went over by one, uh, so one too many. And then he mentions that the horse won by a short head. So, you know, the the whole point of the rules is to try to be uh, a deterrent um, to 
that idea of winning at all costs. I'm not saying that that was a winning at all costs, but you see the correlation between the between the two points. And his other um, his other uh, infringement was heard twice by the stewards on the day and by the discipline panel in a rehearing, and it was it was it was thrown out for that. I mean, it 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 depends on what your on, on what your um, what your temperament is on this, really, in many different ways. I mean, Luke Morris has taken the view that uh, he is employed to ride horses. These are the rules, and I need to ride within the rules because the Mark Prescott needs me to be available to ride horses when I need to ride horses and all the other people that he's got um, c- connections with. And he feels that he would not be carrying out his job properly if he's not available to 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 ride horses when he's required to do so that doesn't mean that you necessarily have to agree with the rules and you can carry on lobbying and think that think that that those rules should be changed but for practical professional purposes Luke Morris has worked very hard during the bedding and id period take taken the advice of stewards made some adaptions and made sure that he can ride effectively in the rules and in answer to Neil's question uh, uh, Luke has ridden 17 more winners than him in this season um, now clearly, uh, Neil didn't really get going until the turf season began, and uh, Luke was already going on the all-weather. But the point is that Luke's had 542 rides, and Neil has had 169 rides. So you know, Luke Luke has had a lot of exposure to the new rules, and I realise the new rules didn't start until later on in the season. But he's had he's had to ride to whatever rules are there throughout throughout the season, um, and. And again, Neil also mentioned, I was told that the high bar set for whip rules um, uh, is considered above everything else. And he said, I didn't say that. I was told that. Well, you know, by whom? What did that person mean? What motive or conflicts that they have when saying that? Did Neil fully understand the meaning and context fully? You know, that that kind of thing is just just hearsay. But coming back to the question that you posed right at the very start, uh, the uh, point about proportionality, I suppose, gives some weight to to sentences like that when they are heard. Hottest ticket in town Monday evening is the Goffs London sale in the grounds of Kensington Palace. One man hoping for more success at the sale is consigner Con Marnan. Charlotte spoke to Con yesterday and first of all asked him about his Marble Hill winner, Give Me the Beat Boys, and what he'd initially liked about this horse. Well, I tried to buy him twice last year. He was at Doncaster, and Amy, my daughter, picked him out, and um, we absolutely loved the horse. And He was our favourite horse at Doncaster last year, and next thing he got an abscess in his hoof. He stood on a stone or something went wrong anyway. And uh, to make a long story short, we had to, uh, he was withdrawn and we were gutted and we tried to buy him privately, but he was a little bit lame and it didn't happen. So anyway, he came to the following sale in, in Goffs and, and uh, we were very, very lucky to buy him then. He, he, he came from Brickley Brothers who do a fantastic job with their, with their yearlings and he was, he was bred by Early Stud, which is one of the best studs in Ireland. So he has a lot of good credentials. And um, you subsequently sent him into training with Jesse Harrington. He won his maiden at the beginning of May and then won the Group 3 Marble Hill Stakes last time. Uh, and he looked like he beat a couple of nice horses that day, one of Paddy Toomey's and also a Bally Doyle horse. Is he a horse that you and Jesse have thought quite a bit of since early on? Well, 
Um, my other daughter Olivia writes him out every day above in Jessie's, and uh, she's in college in Dublin, and she this is a this is her little project as well. And uh, we always just loved the horse. Now he 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 wouldn't have the most fashionable pedigree, but the pedigree is a lot different when you when he's when he's a Group Three winner on his second start. It's a proper page now, and uh, he's just a beautiful, beautiful big horse. Beautiful big horse. He's nearly sixteen too, and he's got a full clean vet vet vet. He's got a cool full clean um, Hong Kong vetting, and he's just very very special. And an added bonus since last night. Frankie de Tori takes the ride. I saw that, and that, that's almost a selling point in its own right. Well, he knows he knows Ascot better than anybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's his playground. <laughs> it is indeed. One um, last time, anyway. Um, yeah, and we're giving him a lovely toy to play with. <laughs> and uh, you've given him an entry in the Coventry Stakes on Tuesday over six furlongs, the day after the sale. He's the only one in there to have won a group race already in his career. So do you think you could make an argument that he's the one they all have to beat? Definitely. Definitely. He, when, when you just watch his race in Navan, first time out on ground that he didn't really like. And he just came like a jet on the outside on his own. And he, we were thrilled with him. And there was a few people trying to buy him then, and but uh, they didn't. They didn't put their hand in the pocket anyway. Is it? And uh, we 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 lived the dream, and we went on to the Cora. And look, we we weren't favourite in the Cora or anything like that. But by God, he's after beating some very very good horses. Character wise, is he the sort of horse you could see handling the prelims at Ascot? It's obviously challenging for any horse, especially two year olds. This fella is a kid's pony. That big kid's pony, that's what he is. He's so quiet, nothing bothers him. Even Jesse will tell you that. He's just such a laid-back horse. He's absolute oh, belter of ours. I've We've had uh, Prince of Lear, the one to Norfolk there. We've had, um, our, what's her name, uh, different league, one to, one to Albany, you know. So we we know what it takes for a two-year-old to get there. Now, we wouldn't be big operators, but like we, we, we box above our weight, as we say. But he's not the only one you've got. You've also got another two-year-old colt by Bungle in the Jungle in the sale on Monday night in the shape of Supersonic Man, who's also trained by Jesse Harrington. But he's not been through a sales ring before. Is that right? No, Bungles weren't that popular last year. They're not an agent's horse. They don't walk. They're not able to walk. But uh, to tell you the truth, those walking races would be very, very boring. (laughs) <laughs> those horses they, 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 I love them I, I've had I've had huge success with the stallion and they, they love good ground they're fast horses they're just what what people want as race horses and he wouldn't have big big books either he doesn't have he doesn't cover hundreds of mares and so he broke his maiden on the second time of asking at Tipperary where the front two pulled well clear how does he compare to give me the beat boys they're two different horses but they're two um two exceptionally well-talented horses that are very big and very strong and very powerful colts. Um, when we ran him first in in, in Navan, no, no, sorry, it was Nace, he was only just gone up to Jesse's. And personally, I think when you go to Ascot, the horses with two runs under their belt, they, they're more experienced They've jumped out of stalls and they know how to race. He wasn't fully fit the first day that he finished uh, fourth behind Aidan O'Brien's highest rated two-year-old. 
and uh, we knew we had a very good horse that day because he was only 70 or 80 percent fit but we wanted him to get on the track and do his job the next time he came out then in tipperary he absolutely bolted in now i was a little bit embarrassed about it because i sold the second filly to edo mcginnis um and uh she's also very very talented and she's going for the uh, the queen mary yeah, I thought that was interesting that they'd given her an entry and clearly shows that she's highly regarded. What race are we likely to see Supersonic Man in? He will run in the Windsor Castle or else the Norfolk, but I'd say myself it might be the Windsor Castle on the Wednesday. He's a very, very fast horse, very, very powerful, natural speed, and he just has a huge cruising, cruising speed. Conlon and talking to Charlotte Greenway. Yesterday, we also brought you news of a significant prize money injection to the sales race at the York Ebor Festival, the Goff's premier sales race, now known as the Harry's Half Million. Uh, Lydia, you've quite often discussed sales races with me, and this has particularly piqued your interest. Uh, tell me what it is you like or don't like here. Okay, so I mean, I, I don't like uh, I don't like sales races um, because I think that they uh, negatively impact on the pattern. So primarily, I am particularly concerned that the that the prize money for this race is now double that of the Jim Crack and the Lather, which are Group Two races run over the same course and distance at the same meeting. Second, I think uh, this is a bad deal for owners. I mean, I think that sales races in general are, um, but I think this one, the new. Um, conditions of this one are particularly. Um, thirdly, I've got uh, severe concerns about the process that, with which this uh, decision came through. And uh, finally, I can't see how this decision is consistent with the industry's shiny new strategy of creative comp creating competitive and compelling top-level contests. Okay, so here is what Goffs have to say about their sales race and how um, the contribution has been made to get the, the prize money up. They say that York and Goffs have increased their executive contribution to £100,000, £200,000. It costs 0.7% of the total prize fund for owners to run, which follows the BHA guidelines. Of the 450 horses catalogued every year, there's been an average of just 206 initial entries. So that box you tick when you sign the docket, when you pay for the horse, uh, that that's been ticked by less than or fewer than 50% of the owners who, uh, who who who've had that option available to them and and to to your point about the pattern there is a potential clash with the gym crack but this apparently has been discussed extensively by the york race committee prior to the agreement and the gym crack is open to a much wider pool of horses it's open to all horses essentially and this is a confined race to a very very small pool of horses uh, by proportion and the only horse that it would have had an obvious impact on in the last decade is is Wooten Bassett, you could argue, who went on to win a win a group one race. So that's that's the kind of case for the sales race, which I suppose is underpinned uh, in addition by the fact that prize money has been such an ongoing issue that anytime there is a a big bonus or a big pot and it pays all the way down to tenth or beyond, then that is something that is going to by its very nature, attract lots of owners and particularly uh, lots of, of syndicate owners and lots of uh, fractional owners. 
owners running largely for their own money and the change to this uh, particular uh, race in order to be able to get up to the £500,000 prize money prize fund level is that the um, first stage of payment by owners who wish to have their horses being el- eligible is at or soon after the time of sale. So oh. they are going to have to make that commitment uh, much earlier on they, when they know less about their horse and whether that horse is actually a realistic candidate for that race. The York Race Committee is not the correct forum for uh, considerations of the impact on the pattern. The, that, the correct forum for, 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 the, for, for this discussion is the objective table of the Pattern Committee, of which I am the chair, not the subjective table of York's Race Committee. And the Pattern Committee weren't asked uh, for their opinion on this. And this process, um, you know, it, there used to be uh, a group called the Racing Group, but that was disbanded uh, last month. Um, and that was under the tripartite agreement. You had uh, three members from uh, race courses, three members from the Thoroughbred Group and three members from the BHA, two of which were independent members and not, and not uh, members of the, uh, not actually employed by, by the BHA. And conversations, you know, I- issues like this would have been argued out at that table. And then uh, the, the, the conclusions, the views would, be passed, would have been passed up to the executive committee. There was no process such as that for this. This was considered by the commercial committee, and I think that's an inappropriate forum for conversations as philosophical and wide-ranging as this that impact on what seems like a very little, finicky little decision and actually has a much wider implication for uh, the wider sport. And on the pattern particularly, to cite uh, just Wooten Bassett, because he happened uh, to win the race in 2010, is a fundamental misunderstanding of how the pattern works and also how races retain their group status. Uh, it is an average of the first four home over three years that is averaged down and you have to reach a certain bar in order to retain listed group three, group two, group one status and it goes up the higher up the, the chain that you go. And so it, it, it is relevant that horses that might have finished third, fourth and fifth in the gym crack, all the louder, and it's the horses that would have finished third, fourth and fifth in those two group two races that might instead Uh, be tempted to run in the sales race which is the concern you need the bricks below the very top in order to be able to prop up these very important races and if you increase the prize fund it's only going to make that more likely and finally we're talking about um, the industry strategy saying that they want competitive and compelling races I don't see how making your group races weaker is a good idea within that strategy. But for so long, we haven't had a shiny new strategy. So racing has had to rely on self-help schemes like this. Here's their first chance. There is a strategy and it doesn't match up. Which affords so many owners and so many smaller owners the chance of, the rare chance of a significant prize money boost. I get that. I get that. But again, if we take a step back and have a look at the the overall uh, landscape, this disproportionate focus on precocious speed which races such as these and all the other sales races focus on it's no coincidence that that is what it's for the speedier type of two-year-old means that they are disproportionately the kind of horse that are, are is bought bred and bought and retained in britain and they are not long-term projects wow. they are their very essence but, and that, but, that has got to be i think we're de- we're deviating from the main point I don't th- no i don't think 
think we are. Yeah, I we think are because your, your point, your point is, and I get it. Your your central fundamental point is what effect of the, the the pattern should be sacrosanct. I accept that the pattern. If you're going to be um, aiming up and you're trying to 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 uh, make racing at the elite level the very best in the world, then you want the best competition in the top races. I understand where you're coming from in terms of the effect that sales races may and can have had on on that process and the and already have clearly the, I've just given the, said that. may have I get that <laughs> however 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 so on your on your point about precocity uh, of two year olds I would say that you know, Royal Ascot two year olds are what everybody wants now you know the the, mo- the the most elite meeting in 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 global bloodstock you could argue that takes place next week everybody wants a Royal Ascot two year old that in itself is playing into a um a, a demand for, for for precocity way more than any any sales races might be and and those ascot races are to the, with the exclusion of one all part of the pattern 100 agree with that as it happens um you know if if i if i could and this is this is a personal view not the view of the pattern committee if i could start all over again i would structure uh racing much more akin to japan who are having tremendous long-term success and will be the dominant and and successful nation across the world because they have structured their their racing not exactly as i've just said it but it's so sensibly that that works um but we we, ha- we are where we are with, with that i'm just saying i agree that the royal ascot is a massive driver of um two-year-olds and the owning of fast and early two-year-olds however these sales races are also a backstop of that scheme because obviously the primary ambition is to have race have those horses racing at royal ascot but if you've got a lot of them bred you've still got to have you know that's still only uh, a handful of horses that's still only the queen mary the albany the coventry the norfolk and the windsor castle so it's only five winners um you still need to be able to reassure uh, the people who are in the market for that that there are other prizes that you can hit uh, and my point is um that in order in, in order to be able to have a thriving successful long-term industry you need to have a balance of horses running which that means over the full range of distances and it means that they are going concerns beyond their two-year-old year all right lydia who i know is stoked for the big two-year-old mashup between the Wesley Ward and the Carl Burke next week. How excited are you about American Rascal and Elite Status? Um, remind me which race they're running in. <laughs> Absolutely ridiculous. I'm, 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 against fast two-year-olds. I'm really, really looking forward to the Prince of Wales' stakes. Yes, obviously. You're and the, and also, the Queen Anne. You're also looking forward to the fact that Alice Sifa, the horse that is flying across racing skyline like a very extraordinary comet having had just the two starts is going to be odds on for the ribblesdale when she's supplemented yeah i mean she has uh shone very brightly so far um at haydock and most particularly at goodwood last time uh she did look very very good indeed but uh, obviously yeah, at rightly this is going to be her biggest test yet um she is bred for the task you would think uh, the dam stayed and extended 10 furlongs but frankel will provide um the, the necessary stamina you would think um and it was a good performance last time at goodwood so yeah um stepping up in grade uh, and trying a couple of furlongs further, but she does look very impressive. She looked she looked proper top class, but you know you've got to actually pass the test. You don't get anointed; you have to actually race. Thank goodness. 
But John and Thady Gosden rolling the collective big dice in the Ribblesdale Stakes at Ascot. Then perhaps en route to the Irish Oaks, Group 1. Uh, and King of Steel, we suggested a couple of days ago on the pod that it was highly possible he could go to Ascot. It looks highly probable now that he'll that's have... Right. Uh, yeah, this is the This is the Derby runner-up in the Edward Seventh. Yeah, that's great. That's that's really uh, great to to hear. I mean, it was a, a huge step forward on what turned out to be his seasonal debut to finish second in the Derby, looking at one mo- moment briefly as though he might win it, pulling a long, long way clear with Auguste Rodin. Um, that was a really, really strong performance. Lots of speculation afterwards that if he hadn't have got upset in the stalls of the Dante, might he have been a little bit sharper, might he have been a bit sort of more match-honed and have been able to, to hang on. Um, so this is a, a very good opportunity for him to to show what he's got um and i think i'm right in saying that spreewell has been scratched in the race today so he won't be running against jessica harrington spreewell who going into the derby uh was quite well fancied uh, but obviously finished a long way behind king of steel all right lydia thank you um you just have a tip for me I do, and that horse is no nay nicky in the 4:45 at york today uh You've got to throw out the last one, admittedly, but I thought that she shaped really well on course over the course and distance on seasonal debut behind. Eligible. She likes the track at York. She likes these conditions. The race looks likely to be more set up to suit her. She's a decent enough price, uh, about, about seven to one at the time of speaking. So it's no, nay, never in the 4.45 at York today, Friday. No, no, Nikki. No, no, Nikki. Sorry. No, no, Nikki. <laughs> Bye, no, no, never. But her name. Her name is No Nay Nikki. Beautiful. Thanks, Lydia. Thank you very much for listening. If you did enjoy this podcast, please tell your friends because we do it every single day. Um, sometimes I think I must be completely crazy today. Uh, I definitely think I'm completely crazy. Um, but if you'd like to leave us a rating and a review, that would be most welcome. We will see you again on Monday, the eve of Royal Ascot. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.